Blog Talk Radio. Catch with John Fisher on Blog Talk Radio, connecting life to faith. We're just trying to get it together, trying to help their fellow man, hoping we can make it better. Do you really think we can? Well, here we are again. It's another Tuesday night, and it is time for Blog Talk Radio and the world, and we're trying to get it together, and the world just gets more and more complicated and uh, pulled apart in so many different directions. It's a crazy, crazy world, and uh, our our guest tonight is someone uh, I'm very excited about because uh, we've had him a number of times before. But he uh, he's very, uh, very astute, and especially in the political realm. Uh, uh, Rob is founder and president of Stutzman Public Affairs in Sacramento and uh, has uh, worked with the campaigns of a number of uh, well-known pop- uh, politicians like Arnold Schwarzenegger and uh, – Meg Whitman and uh, others and lesser knowns and um, and across the board. Uh, so he's got his finger on on the political pulse of of the nation and especially of California. I see his name show up a lot of times in the uh, in the L.A. Times because they love to call him and and get his uh, view on things. And uh, so. We are very fortunate to be able to have him uh, on our show uh, tonight and get his view on some of this craziness that's going on right now. Uh, So uh, I want you to welcome back to the catch our good friend and uh, also member of our catch board of directors, Rob Stutzman. Rob, welcome back. Thanks, John. Quarantine greetings to you. Good to be back on again. I missed that. What was that? Quarantine? Quarantine greetings, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> so, so are you quarantined right now? Pretty well, much? no, I shouldn't say quarantine. Yeah. We're we're certainly trying to stay home as much as possible, but not yeah. strictly quarantined now. Yeah. Yeah, but it it looks like uh we may be going back to a tighter control. And I don't know, that's what my paper said today. Um, yeah, I mean, where you and I both sit in two different spots in California, it it, it seems to be uh, that's obviously yeah. a, a bad past month for the whole state. But yeah, Southern California in particular, it does appear that they right. may be considering going to a more restrictive shutdown again, which would just be a real, real tough pill to swallow. It's going to be tough. Yeah, and it, it it's tough because uh, don't you think that that people um, people think well I've already done that and uh, it didn't you know it didn't seem to to make that much difference I imagine a lot of people are thinking like that. Uh, oh, I think there'll be some of that reaction, and there'll be a question of how much more economic 
um, pain people can take. Um, mm-hmm. We were probably approaching a point where people that didn't suffer economically the first time may now yeah. be um, facing economic hardship, particularly people in the public sector and government as government's budgets are contracting and their you know potential mm-hmm. for layoffs. So, no, I think we're we're a long way from getting through this journey, which poses um, you know multiple challenges, right? Not just health, but also uh, yeah. economic, mental health. I, I would think you know very be very concerned about the long term effects of that in particular. Yeah, yeah. Rob, uh, I got a, a, a list, a long list of things to talk about, and we won't be able to get to all of them. But um, I tell you, I think. Just jumping off from what we're talking about right now, you know, you start, you you look at the figures and you think of the people who come up with the charts and the figures for um, the cases and and the deaths even. And uh, and then you get all these different perspectives on the facts, you know, and uh, there are a lot of people who say, well, those are not all COVID deaths. Those are just... They, they, they're writing up anything in a hospital as being COVID deaths now. And, uh, and then, uh, you know, Trump keeps saying that our numbers are up because we're doing more testing and everybody's got a different uh, approach to it. And not only that, throw in a ton of lies that uh, to be everywhere and, who who can you trust these days? It it uh, it's overwhelming. Well, I think uh, I think a lot of Americans aren't sure what to think or or what to trust. Uh, in fact, I, it was a fascinating um, episode this morning of the New York Times, The Daily, talking to a reporter who's discovering that even if there is a a vaccine, right, mm-hmm. which is what we keep talking about, oh, it's going to be like this until there's a vaccine. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that there's a there's a substantial number of, of of Americans that may not want to take the vaccine or may have questions about it, and that uh, you know depending on the circumstances of how it comes to to market and how well it's been tested, right? Um, through trials, people may be skeptical of it, and not not want to take it, and so you know where do, where do you do you see this? To me, that speaks to the lack of confidence that anyone has in. Um, in authority, mm. in authority structures, yeah. whether it's government or even, frankly, science, that you know the outcome of this thing is is all that certain, and that there is a a singular place or uh, or institution or person that should be completely trusted to be able to guide us through it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you have? Do you personally, Rob, have a a, a, a trusted? voice that you listen to by any chance or are you found out there well in terms of the disease of covid i have found it to me it's very helpful um i've taken a lot of confidence in listening to and reading scott gottlieb who is the former uh, fda commissioner he makes frequent appearances in the media um his He'll post uh, tw- uh, Twitter threads that are very in-depth and informative, and he's written articles. He also has co-authored some, you know, plans on how to suggesting on how to manage through this, with a con- also a concern for the economic impacts at all. So, someone like Dr. Gottlieb, 
I, I think has been has been helpful and to me uh, somewhat uh, someone who's who's trustworthy to listen to. Um, I don't, you know, on a daily basis, I I I, I believe we should be listening to these epidemiologists and and what they've they've had to say from the very beginning, particularly on the precautions. Um, uh, we now know with, for instance, that, yeah, masks are probably a good idea, um, so much so that the president now even finally capitulated and is mm-hmm. encouraging people to wear to wear masks. It's also one of the discernible differences from other countries. So I, I, I tend to stick to the stick to the scientists and not the politicians. Mm-hmm. Um, to try to get yeah. good information when it comes to statistics too, because the because the, data will tell you a story. Uh, people like Nate Silver, um, who can be found online, uh, is I think a very good and reliable statistician who you know reports observations and conclusions based solely on data that that he is seeing. Okay. What was that first name, Rob uh, Scott? What was his last name? Scott Gott, Gottlieb. Dr. Scott Gottlieb. Oh, I see. Gottlieb. Um, I get it. Um, and then, and then there's the whole political scene. Um, yeah. <laughs> boy, do you have any? Do you have any clue where where we're going? What's you know? I don't think anybody does. Do do they? Well, I I think where we're going in the short term um, is uh, is a is a presidency for Joe Biden. I think that would seem rather likely right now. We see that not just in where where all the the polling data has moved to, but there doesn't seem to be um, a real coherent message from the president on mm-hmm. um, justifying a second term. Uh, on why you would con- continue with him at the helm. Uh, he's just really not putting much out there. It's creating a lot of panic, actually, um, mm-hmm. with other Republicans, particularly Republican senators who are facing tough races this year in uh, in a variety of states. So I think we're going for that kind of change. But beyond, you know, beyond that, it's, you know, we may really be one of these transitional moments in, in American politics. We've talked about this a little bit before. Um, where does the, you know, the middle, which I consider, I define as reasonableness, isn't holding. And, you know, both parties in our political dialogue, uh, dialogues are being defined by extremes on each polar opposite end of, mm-hmm. of the spectrum. And so how does the middle kind of reassert and reestablish itself? And by that, I mean experience and competency and uh, a regular order of things that have made this American democracy work better than any other form of government uh, for uh, for 250 years, um, or close to it now. It, you know, I, that's going to depend on the future of both parties, and uh, so it's not just about a Republican Party after Trump. It's also about a Democrat Party after Trump, and. Um, certainly, it'll you know it'll take its course. The market. The political market will answer the question, but I just think there's a lot of us who have toiled in it our entire careers um, don't think it's, you know, we have much certainty on where we think it may ultimately arrive in, in the years of the decade ahead of us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you think that 
you know, it, it, it that it's a possibility that between now and November, uh, things could tilt so much so that uh, Trump would be reelected. I guess it's all a possibility, uh, right? You would for that to happen, um, for that to become likely. Mm-hmm. Um, from the unlikely, I think circumstance mm-hmm. of, of that question. Now, I, I think that I think the virus would have to do what Trump keeps wishing it would do. It has to and that is disappear. Yeah. And of course, so, you know, we know there's that's yeah. probably an absurd thing to postulate. So, uh, no, I don't think I don't think there's anything that can change. I mean, mm-hmm. unemployment. Obviously, there's been some bounce back from the initial. Uh, shock of the of the shutdown that began towards the end of you know end of March and through April, but it's still double digit inflation. There's no precedent in American history for a president getting reelected when I mean, I'm sorry, uh, not inflation, mm-hmm. double digit unemployment. Mm-hmm. Spoke. There's mm-hmm. no precedent for uh, double digit unemployment um, mm-hmm. allowing a, an incumbent to return to office. Yeah, yeah. What do you uh, where where do you see Christians fitting into all this, you know, of course we were Christians were, um, me, say 10 years ago, very much in involved and, and, uh, uh, very much tied to, uh, one, one party to a large extent. And, uh, uh, you know, there's a lot of history between where that came from. And, uh, I think, I think some Christians have been getting smarter and beginning to realize that uh, there isn't a straight line between my faith and 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 politics. Uh, And uh, and yet then there's this other group uh, of Christians that are heavily uh, into to Trump. And of course, of course, he is, um, you know, he he is. Uh, pursuing them uh, very strongly, it, it appears to me, because that's that's a big, at least a, a large part of his backing. What do you, where 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 do we fit there? Um, you know, what what's your sense well, of what are, are, Yeah, I think we're I think we're seeing um, I, th- I think we're seeing a lot of thrashing about amongst American Christians as to where they want to fit in and what they believe, how they believe forth. faith informs them in, in, in politics. You know, the, the evangelical Christian category has uh, now become, uh, you know, basically identified as a political group. But my, my pastor, mm-hmm. um, my Presbyterian pastor, you know, laments that the word evangelical, yeah. um, which of course we should all very much be, has been ruined. <laughs> in his yeah. view, uh, so I think you know. I'm from a, frankly at my Presbyterian church. I think there's a, a lot of you know faithful Christians there that are that have been appalled from day one um, mm-hmm. by the by the president. But this evangelical base, for lack of a better term, very conservative Christian base that he has, um, we're even seeing some some deterioration in that if if the polling is. Uh, is correct, and by the way, I do have a fair amount of confidence in a lot of most of the polling that you're, there just finally is a, a a breaking point of people not be not being comfortable with him. 
mm-hmm. and uh, increasingly seeing people find their voice. I think I think people I think a lot of Christians have been afraid to say over the last three years publicly that they're uh, they're not comfortable um, supporting the president because of how they're instructed uh, by their faith. And I think now we're getting there's a bit of a momentum where these voices uh, of faith are finding one another, whether it's over social media platforms, some of it's organized. There's a mm-hmm. campaign committee called Republican Voters Against Trump that actually takes self-recorded videos, selfie videos of people mm-hmm. giving their, their testimonial, and then they post it online. And a lot of them are from you know, people that identify as, as Christian and that they, they're, they're very much disturbed that in the name of, of Christianity mm-hmm. um, that, that, that Trump is uh, you know, perpetuating himself. I, I think a breaking point may have been the episode where they cleared Lafayette Park, and yeah, of course he he marched over to mm-hmm. uh, to the Episcopalian Church and held up the Bible in in a really a strange manner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Someone doing yeah. parodies like that's not how you hold a Bible. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think it was James Corton's father, who's a, uh, an elder, did a little video on that. It was, it was, it's worth looking up. But it, you know what it was? It, it's Trump, it, Trump doing what he imagines in his mind is what Christians want to see. And it, I thought it really, I thought it really spoke to the disconnect he actually literally has uh, with Christians, because I don't. I, I don't believe he's ever exhibited anything that that really under, you know, shows that he understands the true Christian mind and what it means to follow Christ. And so I, I think that was a bit jarring uh, for yeah. some Christians. Yeah. Um, maybe we'll look back on that and see if there's a bit of a bit of a breaking point. Hmm. hmm. It's uh, well. It, what's your advice to? What's your advice to believers right now? Um, well, you know, my, my advice to believers is to, to treat politics uh, like they would treat any other aspect of, of society and culture with, with their faith. <laughs> and um, don't, don't, you know, some of that is don't give in to that this is always a binary choice. I mean, it's true one of two people is going to be president. But that doesn't mean the franchise. That doesn't mean that either one of them may be um, worthy of the franchise of of your vote. And the way democracy, you know, works is when the the marketplace of candidates and parties respond to voters. And sometimes that means, uh, I believe, with, withholding. Um, I, four years ago, I wrote in someone else uh, for, for president. Um, mm. I, I don't know what I'll do yet in November, whether I'll vote for Mr. Biden or write someone else in. Um, but, you know, I'm not going to give my vote to, uh, to Trump. So I, it's, I think Christians just need to really think into, uh, carefully about what the franchise of their vote is, is worth and how best to exercise it. And in times like this, are they really comfortable with mm-hmm. uh, this presidency in particular, more or less being predicated upon the vote of, of conservative, of conservative yeah. Christian. It, it is, there's just no question that is what has empowered um, yeah. what he's doing. So that means we don't view politics as transactional in terms of our faith. I, I remember there was an interview I saw in the last year <clears throat> where Mark McKinnon um, from the circus show that's on um, Showtime, 
covers politics, sat down with Ralph Reed, the leader yeah. of the Christian Coalition, uh-huh. and and uh, McKinnon asked Reed, well, doesn't it bother you when he lies, meaning Trump? Mm-hmm. And Reed looked right back at him and said, well, he hasn't lied to us, meaning Christians. Hmm. Well, that, that puts Christians into the place of being just another special interest uh, uh, in the in the the world of transactional politics, and I just thought, what a dreadful uh, thing to do as a wow. as a Christian to commoditize um, who we are uh, into a into political favors or not, yeah. uh, and that's what that's essentially what Reed was doing. Well, so I mean, that's that's about seeking power within, you know. With, within a very worldly dynamic and a worldly kingdom. Um, so I, that's, I use that to illustrate, you know, people, please really consider um, as a Christian, is that the same thing as being any other special interest when it comes to politics? Or is yeah. it about truly living, living out your faith and letting that inform, particularly in these times, where I think there's an opportunity to be such light and salt that's so different than what we've seen in the last four years, an opportunity to illustrate that above all what matters is the kingdom of God and our mm-hmm. faith and our pursuit of Jesus, and that that alone informs um, who we are, how we act, mm-hmm. even how we vote, who gets the franchise of our vote, um, and and are we only self-interested or are we interested in justice for others uh, as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the other thing I don't understand is, you know, the Ralph Reed answer is all about protecting ourselves as if we need the protection of the government uh, in order to um, thrive in our faith. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we have, uh, this is probably an overstatement, but um, comment on this that, uh, that, for the last 30 years, Christians have put too much hope in politics. <laughs> yes, I'd agree. Yeah. Well, white, particular. Well, and I, and I, I'm going to make the difference. You know, given other things that are going on in society, I would say white Christians. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Which brings, which which brings us to our last topic. Um. And uh, we spoke about this a little bit um, before we went on the air here, the whole uh, idea of how how do we as individual Christians, um, uh, what do we do about systemic problems in our, in our world, in our culture, of course, which racism would be certainly one of those. And uh, uh, how do we, how do we deal with that? Uh, or is there a way that the church at large can deal with it? Um, you got any thoughts on that? I I do. I've been, you know, as I reflect on this, particularly someone that grew up in a in a wonderful, um, I'll call it I'll call it evangelical uh, church uh, growing up. That you know we weren't taught a whole lot about racism. Um, mm-hmm. It was implicit that racism was a was a sin, and then that that falls into this culture that you know is very American for Christians, you know, viewing everything through the lens of individuality and individual liberty. 
mm-hmm. uh, you know, that, well, I'm not a racist. Um, I don't judge people by their color of their skin, only the content of their character, like Dr. King asked us to. And, uh, you know, it's, you know, people have their own responsibility to pull themselves up by the bootstraps and improve their lot in life. And I don't think we have uh, allowed ourselves to consider that there is such a thing as systemic uh, racism or discrimination based upon Mm -hmm. race. And to step back and think as Christians, how do we be, you know, shouldn't our, shouldn't our systems also be redeeming? Mm-hmm. Um, and not, and to, to think about uh, more of a corporate context. We're more than happy to talk about corporate context when we're all under the roof together on Sunday mornings, worshiping together. But, you know, what's the corporate context um, that we need to have with our faith in a society that bears the pain um, of the pure evil of hauling people here halfway across the world in chains for hundreds of years in order to build um, the economy that our forefathers largely benefited from. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that was a system. So that was a system that was evil. We've abolished that system, but what are the remnants of that system in other systems Mm -hmm. um, that we need to be more concerned about? And I'm not going to start singling out any specific policies, but just, just for Christians to step back and realize, look, no one, no one's asking you to feel guilty. No one's asking you to uh, have to go out and start apologizing. Um, I, th- you know, I think people get tired of walking on eggshells about the appropriate way they're supposed to talk about things. Um, you know, those things are all trivial to the, the perspective of ha- you know, having some introspection to consider um, the, the real stain of this evil uh, mm-hmm. upon us and that it is still – um, around us and amongst us and is, you know, what can or should be done and considered from a systemic perspective yeah. on how we continue to improve and reach towards the goal of our founders, which we've never quite lived up to. That mm-hmm. they, they didn't live up to it, far from it. But I think the trajectory of America would suggest we continue to make the progress and getting closer to the, mm-hmm. to the, the ideals um, that are in our founding documents. But, you know, for Christians, where's the opportunity to lead instead of to be on the sidelines and just say, not my problem because I'm not racist. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's time for us to step yeah. in and bring bring some of the kingdom of God to these systems that maybe need yeah. reform. That's where it gets hard is you don't know where. But I guess it doesn't matter anywhere, you know. I mean, anywhere you can find a place to to move in and do something or say something or get involved. Um, I think some of it is to change the mindset within, uh, within the church, within Christian culture mm-hmm. around these topics. It's a really good place to start. I think it's really healthy to be talking um, for someone my age who's middle age. I can talk up a generation of my family and then still talk, down a generation of my family to my young adult kids and yeah. you know horizontally to my to my um siblings and and cousins i think it's i think it's just healthy to start talking about all these things and trying to improve our journey on them together and then for the church um i think there's a real interesting question to confront as to why we don't 
teach and preach about this evil the same way we do about abortion, um, Mm -hmm. sexual perversion, and then I'll jokingly add for my generation, you know, um, rock and roll music. (laughs) (laughs) But there's, you know, very, very little instruction, let alone outrage about the the evil of, of racism. Yeah. Yeah. Why do you, why do you think that is? Well, I think so. It, it, so I think there's some depends to that. I think there are there's no question there are some traditions, especially fundamental traditions out of the South, that overtly were intent on perpetuating racism, mm-hmm. um, uh, creating the movements and excuses to push back against busing. Uh, interracial marriage, uh, et cetera, like the list goes on and on, right? But I think beyond that, there's just, there's a lot of this benign neglect and some of it I do think comes back to being informed by this, um, how personal we make um, uh, make our faith influenced by, you know, the, by the American tradition of, of individual liberty and that there just are not these, these, these looks at larger systems. Um, so, Sure. Um, church I grew up in, African-American would walk through the doors and would, you know, be, be embraced and treated w- with love and, you know, friendships occurred and, and what have you. But there was probably, there was very little curiosity about really, well, what's that person's journey or story um, as someone who's, uh, who's black. And I think some of it is, we, you know, people probably thought they were doing the right thing to, to not, to try to be quote unquote colorblind. Um, so, you know, let's start by taking away the idea of being colorblind um, and <laughs> realize that we yeah. do see each other in that way, and it deeply yeah. informs uh, yeah. a lot of our, our cultural issues. But mm-hmm. I, th- I, you know, I, reflecting back, I assume that's a lot of why we just didn't hear much about it um, in, in the church, during the, particularly during the 80s and 90s. Yeah. It's uh, it, it probably depends on where you live, and because uh, you know, many people just don't even encounter, uh, you know, blacks. They're in such a white, washed area of the world, and uh, go to church there, and all of that. And so, you, yeah, you're not forced to encounter it. Yeah, I mean, as a native Californian, um, I didn't grow up really seeing, you know, racism. In fact, if anything, mm-hmm. California is extremely multiracial and cultural. But yeah, as a young adult, and I first started traveling to the South, um, um, it becomes it became obvious and. Uh, you know, there's good literature that informs us on these matters as well. Mm-hmm. You just start to become more aware, you know, and starting to understand, um, you know, that rap music, which I was offended Christians to no end, I'm sure when the scene broke out, then with some maturity, mm-hmm. you begin to realize, you know, the, the, the pain in those, some of those lyrics and the justice that they're, uh, mm-hmm. that they're craving. Mm-hmm. Um, better understanding why there were riots in LA and, you know, and, and yeah. lots in the sixties yeah. and then again in the nineties. So yeah. you just, you know, <laughs> yeah, 
you know, wake up and be, I think it's, I guess it's empathy, right, John? I mean, it's empathy. It's really, it's really the discipline and practice of putting yourself into someone else's shoes. Which, um, okay. Oh boy. Time goes fast. It, It leads me to my last question. And, um, and, and that is that whole, you just brought up the term justice. The, the whole idea of justice to me is something that we as American Christians, uh, at least I'm speaking for myself, don't know that much about. And, um, and yet I read my Bible and I find that God is very concerned about justice and Jesus was too. And, uh, the, the scriptures speak about it um, uh, quite often, and uh, uh, why is that? Uh, you know, what what do we need to do about that? And why is why is justice such a such a? Um, it seems like a scary term to uh, term for a, a lot of us, I think, um, because we're not. You know, we're not sure what that means, and 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 what to do about it. I don't know. I'm my my question is vague, but I just want to hear you talk about justice a little bit. <laughs> well, I think the perspective of justice. I think Christians typically will, you know, the traditions we've had is that we think of justice in terms of justice for ourselves or people that, that look like us, or mm-hmm. we can feel good about the type of justice that Dr. King was pursuing. We understand and agree with that on this bigger scale. But what we, I think our disconnect is, especially when we read about justice in the Bible, is to understand that we are actually the people in power. Mm. Uh, We are the people that actually distribute so-called justice, and what are we doing with it? Mm. And uh, Mm. the Bible Bible, uh, tells the story of, of God's persecuted people, right? Whether it's uh, whether it's the, the the Jews in the Old Testament or the early Christians in the persecuted church, and you know the problem is we never put ourselves into those stories as being the oppressors, which is essentially what we are because we are powerful, um, particularly in the political context of this country. Economically, we're powerful as well. Mm-hmm. And so I think some of it just we got to start reexamining, reading you know, reading these stories and the words of of scripture um, from different perspectives, and understanding what we can learn from it when we stop seeing ourselves uh, cast as the uh, as the victims and the martyrs, uh, mm-hmm. because rarely are we. <laughs> oh, that's really good. That is really good. I appreciate that, and I can uh, I can run with that one. Um, <laughs> good, uh, good. Well, th- that's what's good. I, if I give you something to run with, then I'll get more out of it too when I, <laughs> when I read what you have to say. <laughs> oh, Rob, it's always good. I love uh, having you on the show, and uh, thanks so much again for for uh, being on. And and gosh, let's just uh, uh, we'll we'll see you back in a few months and figure out where we're at then who knows <laughs> always good to, always good to visit with you but also to try to sort all this out with you my friend it's <laughs> uh, great well thank you rob and uh and are you involved in anybody's any campaigns right now um coming up not not right now 
Um, it, it, I'll be doing some campaign activity in the fall, but it'll be nothing of of note to uh, to the listeners. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, politics season's coming, and I'll, I'll I'll get in the ring on a few projects. But I'm largely sitting out the big high profile stuff right now. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that's okay. That's that's good. Um, all right, Rob. Well. Lord bless and keep safe and keep well and all that stuff. And uh, I'm going to try. You too. Yeah. Okay. All right. We'll okay. talk to you again in, 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 a, in a few months and, and see where we're at then. Thank you so much for your thoughts. I appreciate it. Thank you, John. Okay. Great. Now, well, there you go. Always great to listen to Rob and we'll talk to them. Many different uh, good perspectives on things. So I hope I've given you maybe more questions than we started with, uh, because that would be a good thing. And uh, let's all keep thinking about what what we're doing here. The crazy world that uh, we love the Lord and we want to seek Him first above all things. And Jesus is the truth. Boy, does that ever ring clear today? The way. And the life. He is the one. Find truth anywhere else. I challenge you. It's hard to find today. Thank God we have Jesus. God bless you all. We'll see you soon.